0: Welcome to show 47 of the C-Suite podcast, the second in our series being sponsored by Capstone Hill Search that we're recording at the Cannes Lions Festival of Creativity by the Beach in the Ico House of PR. I'm Russell Goldsmith and my first guest this morning is Harjo Singh, Chief Strategy Officer for McCann World Group, Amir. And uh, Harjo's got a few things he wants to get off his chest on the language that is used in the communications industry. So, for example, let's just see the reaction I get if I mention the words target audience.
1: Uh, you can't really see the face I'm making. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, no, I do want to talk about that because I think um, the conversation was around the fact that we keep talking about how we're living in new realities and there are new things to consider and new things are happening, but I feel like we're still using really old and outdated language and we're expecting results that are different. And to me, that's really quite counterintuitive to what we're trying to make and do over here. So, for example, I just say that, you know what, I think we should go with common sense. Um, Let me just tell you uh, one or two or three facts. Fact is that, I mean, almost every person, everyone who's in the marketing business or the brand building business says, we want people to like us. You don't want people to hate you. Um, then you say things like we want people to engage with us, we want people to co-create, participate, collaborate, engage, all these words that are very much about seeking some level of engagement and participation and reciprocity from people that you're trying to create uh, a conversation with yet we use these outdated words from the 70s, 60s, 50s, god knows when Mm -hmm. and we call people a target and I think that's kind of counterintuitive because I don't know about you, but I mean, if you, if, to me, a target is something you shoot things at. Yeah, yeah. You throw things at a target, you have to like, really destroy a target. That's the whole reason why a target is something that doesn't move, it's there. And it's all about precision, how hard you hit how, uh, and how clearly you hit that person. It's a one direction. And I just don't think anyone... Do you want to be called a target? No, it's, 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 do you it's enjoy really,
0: that? No, I was, I was going to say, it's a real interesting... Um, sort of way you're looking at it and it's quite a culture shift that you, you're looking for. Uh, uh, I mean, what I wanted to ask you actually is have you, have you actually started to change this language that you're being, you know, that's being used in your own agency yes. then?
1: In fact, I have a beef with two other words and we'll get to it just okay. in a second. Because target <laughs> is one thing. You don't want to be shot at. No, the other no. thing is audience. Like really, I mean, the last time I checked, an audience is when you go to the movies and you sit there in a dark auditorium with your popcorn, Coca Cola, whatever else that's your poison, and then you just kind of let that thing waft over you and wash over you. You're not sitting there engaging with the movie because if you start speaking, it's actually not polite to be like, you know, engaging with that. So yeah, I think audiences are passive by definition, yeah. and we don't want people to be passive with the messages and conversations we're trying to create. So I think those are two important things that we have to change because. A different discourse is the beginning of a different outcome, yeah. and that's really important. And Have we changed the discourse at our agency? Absolutely, yes. Um, are we home uh, dry yet? No, it's something that we're doing on a steady basis because you know, this is something that's been entrenched over so many years. It takes a while. So, for example, we don't call people target. We, try and call, we, we call people people because that's who they are. Um, We don't talk about creating a message. We're talking about creating engaging conversations and experiences because there seems to be some participation. We don't call people an audience as much as we try and talk to groups of people as communities Mm. versus an audience. So, you know, we're trying to do things that way. We've also altered the language um, uh, that we use when we write creative briefs. I mean, I often think that a brief, and it's not just me, a lot of us believe that they are about finite possibilities. So for example, we call our version of that a springboard because it's really about creating more possibilities. So yeah, we're, we're moving in that direction.
0: What kind of reaction have you had from both teams, clients, and then your industry peers?
1: the reaction that is usually when someone is surprised by the brilliance of common sense. <laughs> <laughs> that is the reaction and Fair that enough. is the best reaction yeah, because yeah. there's nothing more brilliant than common sense and there's nothing more rare in our business right now.
0: Sure, sure. Um, uh, uh, would, would you say there's been any sort of faux pas, let's call them, that you've already spotted in terms of language being used by the industry here at Cannes?
1: Uh, <laughs> you know what, it's day two for me yeah. and um, and Cannes number nine. So um, not anything new but something that never ceases to exist because you know it's like you land in uh, at nice and once you get into on the Croisette, it's like how many times will you hear the word authentic is uh, is is my personal thing like you just keep checking then I've lost count after 999 (laughs) 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 because I think the thing is that word is needs to be reinterpreted it needs to be unpacked because everyone who talks about authenticity talks about it as being in a fixed state almost an excuse for not changing and I think that to me is a faux pas because authenticity to me should be about consistency and again speaking of common sense a chameleon changes colors all the time because that's authentic to a chameleon so change can be pretty authentic and I think brands sometimes make excuses for not doing things a certain way because it's our authentic self Mm. and I think um If you are consistently inconsistent, that can be pretty authentic as well. So I think we need to uh, engage with this authentic conversation in a new context, one that's about improvising, flexing, one that's about greater agility.
0: Have you seen much change since your first visit? You said it was your ninth. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You know, (laughs) I think people still behave badly (laughs) by day three. But uh, yeah, I have seen some change uh, on the positive side. Um, the body of work has gotten a lot more diverse and uh, things that we thought would never, we'd never see, um, we see, which I find very encouraging. For example, the, the extent to which technology is informing work, the extent to which new categories, I, I'm very, very, very happy with the glass lion. You know, so things like that, conversations like that, because we know for a fact and through research that brands have the power to change the world, 85% people across the world believe brands have more power than governments do to change the world for better. Yeah, and I'm yeah. so happy that we're recognizing that reality here and uh, applauding work that addresses that reality and that responsibility. Yeah. So for me, that's the best change.
0: We're just picking up on something you just mentioned on technology. I wanted to actually uh, ask you something on that because um, I read an article that you wrote uh, for, sh- for Shots where you said technology can make creative people redundant across the, <laughs> the industry. Do, do you really believe that?
1: No. Uh, In fact, I was being sarcastic because I was at this conference and there was a speaker and she was just evangelical, waxing lyrical about the fact that, you know, oh, um, 20th Century Fox is going to make a movie with no real people because it's all data and artificial, whatever is going to make it, that alphabet soup, AI VR blah blah blah. Yeah. And yeah. then someone was from Sony Music they're going to cut a whole album which is going to be a sure shot box office hit because you're not going to have real human talent they're just going to cut this whole music it's exactly what people want data's going to make the album my whole point of that was it's really bloody dangerous that we're having this conversation where we think that data technology ai vr all that stuff is going to make people redundant it's dangerous and sad and not a good thing that we're having that conversation, so I don't believe that. I think technology and all of this innovation has to be in service to people who think like people on behalf of people to make work that people can meaningfully engage with Fair enough. so yeah, yeah, technology is a means to the end. I okay. certainly don't believe that excellent
0: um, and so to finish off w- w- what's your expectation here at, at Can Lions? You know anything that you think um, you know will have an impact immediately on, on the advertising industry over the next twelve months?
1: two things I'm hoping one I mean for the last three cans um, you know we've just seen such a huge influence of technology and all the work that gets recognized applauded and, and celebrated and um, I'd like to see more work where the technology is completely invisible when and the idea shines so, you know I mean again I'm a huge fan of common sense I speak like that I always think that technology is like salt you have to taste it not see it and um, that's how I think more of that should be where we should be able to taste the technology not not see it all over the place, so i 'm looking for work where it 's still the idea that shines, and there are more innovative uses of technology to kind of make that work more exciting, make the idea more interesting, and um, you know engage in old conversations in new ways or instill new vigor into existing conversations with all this all these resources that we have um, and The second thing is, I think I want to see a little bit more um, the people who 've made this work because if we're going to celebrate bold, uncomfortable um, breakthrough work, we need to shine a light on the bold breakthrough uncomfortable people that make the work people who are just like everybody else don't make work that's unlike anything else right. so you know I think I just want that I'm hoping for this to be there be the people to be celebrated a lot more and I'm hoping that the people we celebrate are not just um, you know like everyone else yeah. I think it's important to shine a light mm. on all the bold talent that exists
0: out there this has been a a really great and positive start to the show so uh, (laughs) thank you thanks for joining us (laughs) thank you Um, we are back after the break with richard miller and simon shaw of h and k strategies to talk about china's age of ambition
2: capstone hill search are global recruitment experts for the public relations public affairs corporate and digital communications industries We are the only recruitment partners to the PRCA in the UK, PR Council in the USA, and the ICCO's endorsed recruitment partner internationally. With offices in London, Melbourne, Sydney, as well as New York, covering the UK, Europe, continental USA and Australasia, whether you are looking for a new role or have a role to fill, get in touch at capstonehillsearch.com.
0: You're listening to a Cairn Lions special of the C3 podcast with me, Russell Goldsmith, and it's a welcome back to the show to H&K Strategies' Simon Shaw and Richard Miller, who I spoke to uh, this time last year here in the Ico House of PR. Uh, morning, gentlemen. Nice to see you again. Yes, morning. nice Hello. to see you again. Uh, good to be back in Cannes. Hot. Very hot. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to be back. Any differences that you've seen so far this year? I know you've only just arrived, actually. Well, I literally
3: you? arrived last night at 10 o'clock. Right. Had a first bottle of rosé. Nice. Woke up this morning. Met with our Huawei client, and now we're here.
0: Excellent. Well, that that's a, a good link to why, why we're going to be talking. But um, come on to Huawei in a second. Simon, though, uh, this time last year when we spoke, um, you said you were here with clients from China who are looking to move from a culture of making product to one of explaining uh,
4: why they are making that product. So how are things developed since we last spoke last year? I mean, I think that, that journey is continuing for the clients, and I think uh, we're going to speak about that um, tomorrow. But I think it's definitely something that... Um, that our Chinese clients are focusing more on now the the, um, the balancing, telling both the performance of the product, but also the purpose, their reason to exist. Yeah. And we're seeing that uh, more and more. And it's definitely high on the agenda. I think depending on the market you're entering, you obviously need to balance those two. If it's a if it's a developing market, it might be more price sensitive. Then perhaps you'd be talking more around the performance of your product or the value uh, proposition. But again, it, as these as as our clients move into um, more mature markets they need to be explaining um, to perhaps a slightly different consumer um, why they should choose their brand uh, as well as their product. How so. much How much of your time do you spend over there? Uh, we looked at the diaries last week. We spend about uh, one week and six, right, um, okay. probably for a full week, one week and six yeah. in in, in, um, in Shenzhen a lot of the time, which is really where the I guess the tech capital of, uh, of China is, but also uh, uh, splitting our time between Beijing and um, Shanghai. Okay. Well, this, this uh, obviously leads uh, nicely onto why we're, we're chatting
0: this morning, um, because tomorrow is China Day here at Cairn Lions, and, and I believe that's the first time they've ever done that. But you guys um, are presenting with your clients, Huawei, uh, Richard, that you, you mentioned just earlier, um, and the title of your presentation is China's Age of Ambition. Now, I've learned some uh, great interviewing skills from watching Graham Norton every week, so I'm just going to say the following. Explain.
3: I'll leave that to Simon. He's on stage with Gori Zhang, who's the global CMO of Huawei, tomorrow afternoon in a conversation moderated by uh, Fast Company magazine. So, Simon,
4: uh yeah, it's very exciting. Um, we're going to be uh, on the on stage tomorrow afternoon, I think around 3 p.m. Um, and I think the the fact that they've um, uh, uh, can decided to dedicate a, a, a day to China is 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 really exciting. Um, certainly, it's where. You know, I enjoy spending a lot of my time um, working with Chinese clients. The speed, the ambition, the agility, the um, uh, the want to learn, the want to, to, to move quickly is tremendously exciting. And I think um, a lot aligned with that is is also perhaps some of the popular misconceptions that people have with China. So I'm very hopeful that uh, tomorrow, China Day, will um, will enable us to address some of those issues, um, explain what it's like to, to work with um a Chinese company what it is to be truly client centric rather than perhaps think you're client centric which is perhaps where we started the journey um, and then also um, uh, Glory Zhang is uh, an amazing amazing CMO um, you know she's uh, uh, been at the, uh, the helm of a, of a brand that has gone from nowhere to to um, being the third biggest smartphone manufacturer in the world in five years so she's got an incredible incredible story to tell full of insights
0: it's obviously quite significant, uh, as you say, to have a, a day dedicated to China. R- Richard, how much of a shift are you seeing now in terms of the attention to Chinese brands here at, at CanLion?
3: Well, I think we, sort, we started to see it a couple of years back um, with the likes of Tencent playing a very visible and high-profile role in their sponsorship of, of the festival itself. Um, Simon and I were out in China most recently in Shenzhen. We, we, we met with Tencent. We also met with uh, Nubia. We met with BYD. And, you know, it's it's fairly clear that Cannes is on all of their agendas as an event um, because what each of these brands, Huawei and others that we work for, aspire to be is, it, it is creatively excellent. Um, and if they if their work can be recognised at Cannes, then that's one measure of their success.
0: If we were to take China as a brand itself, how would you say it's turned around the previous association from the West, you know, with poor quality products, to, to now being one...
4: Uh, you know, synonymous with, with quality and innovation? I think you have to look at the different um, uh, different demographics and the different views of, of those demographics towards China. I think if you look at, um, you know, a lot of the work we've seen uh, uh, um, with, from WPP around Brand Z, you'll see that um, largely younger consumers don't have any of the preconceptions of China that perhaps an older consumer has. So they look at China as a, an innovation powerhouse, a place to get amazing product, um, and perhaps you know as uh, slightly older um, generations do look at China and perhaps remember it as uh, uh, with some of the stories that it had in the past, but I think those are just not true anymore. They're just plainly wrong. Um, you know, I'm sure they exist in pockets, but then I'm sure they exist in every country in pockets. You know, China is a, com- is a fast follower. It's uh, it's learning from the West. It's innovating. It's doing things quicker. It's doing things better, producing arguably better product at a better price. Um, uh, so I think, though, you know, that journey has begun. I think it's probably still got a long way to go in changing perceptions of some of the older demographics. But certainly, I think if you look at somebody pre 25. They wouldn't even it wouldn't even factor on their agenda. Yeah, uh, the sure. types of I those types. That's, of that,
3: that, that's so critical. I have got four kids ranging from twenty-two down to nine. They don't have any of the memories of China that I have. Um, for them, China's cool. Yeah. Um, and, and brands like Huawei, they live in the same firmament as Apple and Samsung, uh, uh, on you know, parity if not greater. Yeah. parity.
0: Well, what what have you guys learned from working with them? How, how long have you been? Working with Huawei for a little
3: over two and a half, nearly three years. Yeah. Uh, working with uh, other Chinese clients in the energy sector, in the retail, property and entertainment sector. And I think it's fair to say they all um, share very similar characteristics as clients in terms of their um, restlessness, the speed at which we have to work with them, um, their, their constant expectation for the best um, and I think that's also where London plays such a pivotal role um, for China brands, because they see London very much as the centre of excellence in communications, innovation, creativity. Um, and that's where you know, we've benefited, um, but it also has placed a greater demand on our colleagues in our office in London spending more time at the home of these chinese brands so in shenzhen in shanghai in beijing yeah
0: you, you may well have answered this but uh, let's, you know in terms of summarizing it then and, and and to finish off what's the key message about this whole topic to those listeners of the c-suite podcast based in the west then that you want to get across from from this
4: um i think we, we came up with uh, with a title which was um forget everything you thought you knew and i think that's probably quite apt um certainly if you're a little bit older um so yeah i think come along and 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 listen to some truly inspirational um, talk from, from Glory um, and then perhaps a little few insights from us as to what it, what it means for Western agencies to, to be able to navigate the landscape which is um, Chinese culture and, and Chinese clients.
3: And get get wise to the brands that we'll all be living with for the next hundred years.
0: And, and and for those those people that obviously aren't here at, at, at Cannes, is is there anywhere that people can go for more information about some of the stuff that
4: you're talking about, or any post you know blog posts that you've you've written? Yeah, I mean we've been writing quite a lot about it, and you know I think uh, one of the things we discovered is you have to experience it to really understand it. Um, right. Hence, we're launching um, uh, what we call the Shanghai pop-up edition in um, in Shanghai, which is basically a pop up um extension of london where we're going to rotate people through to be able to actually experience what it is to work with chinese companies because you can read about it you can uh you can kind of uh, explore it but until you've actually experienced it i think um you know we lo- it's, it's it's more about two cultures learning to work together uh, and you have to you know you have to have the right mindset for that brilliant good stuff uh,
0: richard miller and simon shaw uh, good to chat again and uh best of luck to your presentation uh, tomorrow great thank uh, you very much pleasure uh we are back after this quick break
2: you're listening to the c-suite podcast to listen to all previous shows in the series you can either visit c-suite follow us on soundcloud or subscribe to the show in itunes by searching for the c-suite podcast in the itunes store please do give us a positive rating and review when you do
0: Welcome back to the C-Suite podcast here at the Ico House of PR at Can Lions. And um, I'm absolutely thrilled to have had an opportunity to get an impromptu uh, chat with two guys that have just been presenting here, actually. Uh, we have Young Guru and uh, Gerald Cooper who are going to be uh, talking about the era of the engineer. It's a project that they've uh, founded and are working on. Um, but uh, Guru, you were, you were just presenting with Fleischman Hillard um, in the House of PR here uh, on a session about talking tunes and human truths. Do you want to just give us an
5: overview of, of what that was about? Yeah, it was really cool. It was about um, how music affects people, um, how to become authentic or how to remain um, authentic to what you're doing. Um, I think authenticity is a huge part of of advertising, of PR and of marketing. Um, It was also about what are some of the challenges of choices when you're dealing with PR in terms of maybe some issues that you may want to represent and how to best do that um, and how to best put Agencies with the creatives that, um they want to use, but about the marriage of the two, about making this marriage that every artist is not perfect for a company and vice versa. How would you say brands are working with musicians at the moment then? Well, it's gone beyond now just, okay, let me pick this song and put this song in. The idea used to be, oh, said artist is really popular, really cool, they're a big uh, draw, so if I show them with my product, their fan base will then move to my product, which we found out doesn't really correlate that way. The fan base has to find a reason for them to like the product. Yeah. So the product has to fit into the life of whoever those people are. So it's more about making choices as to who represents your brand. It doesn't always have to be the biggest person. It should be the most effective person.
0: And, and what's the... Ed- looking at in the reverse what's the, the appeal to the artists to, w- to work with the brands Right. this is
5: this is the biggest time for artists to work with brands because yeah. as we know the internet now has taken away a lot of the record sales that artists used to rely on our business used to be just record sales um, and we would look at other things auxiliary forms of income like touring and uh, merchandise and things of that nature so now the artist has sort of taken the album out of the center of the circle yeah. and put themselves as the brand in the center of the circle so now um connecting with companies that represent your brand or can help your brand or just at least support your brand um, are great but they have to coincide with the ethos of what you are as an artist.
0: I, I, I was going to ask someone that uh, and, I, and I probably should have said this in the intro but um, the Wall Street Journal uh, calls you the most influential man in hip-hop you've never heard of and, and obviously you're working mm-hmm. with people like Jay-Z. Um yes, Are you getting brands approaching you on a regular basis, and how are you sort of picking and choosing who you're going to work
3: with?
5: Well, that was the big thing. I I had a lot of brands that started approaching me, and I think the best thing that Gerald did and myself was um, to look at this, analyze this, and say, okay... We can connect with TMA, which is the marketing arm, um, and say, okay, now we can have not only major brands that we're dealing with, but also a company that can support the ideas that we come up with. So we, as anyone else know that it takes a team to put things together. So if I come up with an idea and we have to start at ground level, every time we start with an idea, it may not come to fruition. But if I have a full company of people that are expertise in every single department of what they do, it helps to bring my creative, uh, Idea to light a lot faster, yeah. and I think that's the best way to do it. Versus just sourcing brands from all over the place, and it and it sort of gives you a blanket of protection um, of of dealing with brands, but also knowing that you have this team because everyone has to make their date. That that is the biggest thing in advertising. We yeah. have to make the date. So the more help you have, the better it is. And I just feel like TMA has been a great fit for me. And, and Gerald, let's let's
0: bring you in here in terms of you know working with. Brands and, and the artists together. The, one of the things that Guru was talking about earlier was about authenticity. You know, do you want to just talk talk through that in terms of that relationship?
6: Totally. And 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 you know what I think that that we by, we bypass a little bit is purpose. Yeah. You know, um, there, there's some there's purpose on brand side, and, and obviously we're now seeing that there was actually purpose on the artist side other than getting the check, right? And what is that? And 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 that's where we we not only I think we've done a, a decent job with, but we also see that as a trend coming soon. You know, and I think in, yeah. in the next three years, there won't be a marketing campaign without purpose, right? There won't be a Nike without uh, equality, you know, the movements and then and how that it, that it, that expands. And so that's been that's that's been a really exciting like part about our involvement, not only with the marketing arm but with brands like AT and T. Um, Gatorade that we worked with is that like we've just led through through a lot of the purpose. Yeah. yeah, we
0: we we have seen some brands. You know, we don't necessarily have to name names, but we have seen some brands make some big mistakes. You know, just yeah. in the last few, the last and few months. And that's fine. Well, that's fine. Like, yeah. you're
6: gonna make you make mistakes. We make mistakes every day, I, and I think that the, that the, the great thing about the Gen Zs and um, and millennials and they, they they will correct you. Yeah. Yeah, and then in the lifespan of a brand, you probably won't make that mistake again. No,
0: definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Right now, you guys are also here talking about um, something that you both founded uh, called the Era
5: of the Engineer. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. It's it's, it's one of those pet things that I believe was necessary um, for me. Number one, being a young black male that was very into engineering, how things were built, um, how things are constructed, what makes something. Um, it was hard for me to get my friends involved in it because it was something that was considered uncool or nerdy. Even if, it, if even if it wasn't the coolest thing in the world, it was just considered nerdy. Yeah. So people shied away from it. And the whole purpose of of the, of the engineer is to make that thing cool. All types of engineering, not just musical engineering, and the and the draw of working with the highest paid artists, but also this thing of understanding that everything's been engineered. So it may not be as sexy, um, but There's a check in um, running the sound at McDonald's for the Mm drive-thru. If you're the guy that comes and checks the microphones, there's a check involved there. That's a real big check. It's not as sexy, but it's a job. And people will understand that and understand that everything's been engineered. So that's really where we're coming from. We can draw kids in through the music, but then show them civil engineering. We can show them all types of engineering. Anything that they can think of, it's been engineered. Also, to show them that we're in a world where coding is the biggest thing now. Everybody wants to be a coder. Everybody wants to design an app and and become Mark Zuckerberg. You know, what I mean, like everybody wants to do that. But at the same time, when everybody's making that race, there's countries that need infrastructure. So we're going to need those people that know how to build roads, that know how to build buildings, that know how to maintain things for 20 and 30 years. Where's the people that are researching how to do new forms of plastic or better types of textiles that we use that we just stopped? because now we're all in the computer and it's like okay we need to get back to understanding we still do live in a physical world and engineers we look at the holes of where society is so if everyone's running to one space there's an open gap now back in the physical world of engineering so at the same time that we are promoting coding that we are promoting kids learning because that's going to be the language of the future you building your apps and all that stuff is going to be second nature to a fifth grader in about 15 years so they're still going to need to know how to build roads, yeah. how to build the spaceship that's going to go to Mars, how to build these physical things. They all need to be done by engineers. And, the, and, I was going to say yeah. the passion that you're saying. It's, it's, <laughs> no, it's great. It's great you know, to it, see. It's, it's what great. we deal with every day, and yeah, it's yeah. like I get it. And we're very practical. And we're very real. Yeah. You know, you, you, everybody's dream becomes that thing you see, and it's like, oh, I want to make the app and have them come and buy it for for twenty million dollars, and that's, then I can retire, and that's yeah. the dream. But it's like you made only. 10% of people make it to the NFL and to the NBA and to major soccer leagues. You know, how many people want to play professional soccer across the world that actually make it? Here are the jobs where if you want to be an engineer, we can give you physical jobs to do right now today. Yeah, Gerald, sorry, I cut across well, you.
6: It, it, we, it'd be hard for anybody to try and, and, and sort of identify something that hasn't been engineered are right? the cities that we live in, the, 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 the Cabana space that we are in has been there's a massive designer that that sort of, that measured and developed this and so it's not that difficult to go cross you know to, to be agnostic with our approach of we call it sometimes creative engineering where it's like if you if you're in a fashion, and you, and you need to understand engineering that will, will obviously, right, is one of the highest design, uh, you know, practices, uh, as well as architecture, as well as sport. Now in sports, the sports technology is something that, I mean, the NBA, the National Basketball Association in the States has a tech summit. Who do you think is engineer? Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, Amazon is going to be uh, the, the number one employer in the world here soon. And, and you know, Jeff Bezos is an is a engineer. And so it really is not even the gimmicky thing where you say the era of the engineer. It's actually just the era, you know? Yeah, and, and, yeah. and so, you know, entering through sports or entering through any parts of culture makes it cool and makes it relevant. And I think that that's what still lacks in, in North American education is being able to... I mean, we just, we just say in New York City, uh, uh, our, our buddy Fred Wilson uh, from Union Square Capital sort of lobbied for the 10 years to have... STEM education be on part of the regular curriculum. Like, why? Is, and yeah. this it's two years of that. And so, but we we're behind, right? We're seven in developed nations in STEM and te- te- you know understanding and education. But we need to be beyond that. We need to be you know connecting with kids who are naturally and we know the numbers of the kids who are naturally not into math and science, like you know culturally. Yeah, yeah. Right, and not in, and I won't say not into it, but not. You know, getting the traditional understanding. Right. And um, it's not pushed
5: predates. and it's not pushed to them. It's not yeah. something that's considered, oh, it's mandatory for you to do and, and I'm speaking again culturally, yeah, that, the way is, that yeah. Gerald was talking. Yep. Culturally. So if we can change the culture, if we and that's what I mean by cool, you know, that was my that's really the same word. Yep. Culturally, if I can make it to where it's important for you to know these facts or your friends are looking at you like you're weird if you don't know how to do this or if you're not completely independent in a couple of years and like you said no matter what you're into, if you're into fashion you, you need someone to make the clothes there's some physical thing, that's been engineered the machine and, and if you're really you know, thinking about the future you're going to be developing that 3D printer that can make the shirts, that can yeah. make the sneakers that can make the whatever because people are going to move into 3D printing
6: and one of the ways that we do this is not just through talk, talking or not just through teaching, but media. Right. Me, the media is very high on how we perceive ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I'm talking about you and, and, and everybody. And so, you know, we we got a Warner Brother film deal a couple of years ago. Amazing. And, and, it, and, and you know, this fall, Guru's going to be executive producing a sci-fi uh, television show. As well as, you know, next year, you know, 18 or 19, hopefully there'll be a, a, a movie out about some things. And not, again, not directly about science because yeah. we remember we said it's everything. So we don't have to really focus on, on one thing because, you know, it, it's a bit agnostic in this, in this, in this presentation. Yeah. Well, well,
0: listen, I could genuinely be talking all afternoon, <laughs> but the music's getting louder. <laughs> exactly. The drinks are flowing. One last question. Where can people, uh, where can our listeners find out more about this? com. Simple as that. Uh, Gerald Cooper, Young Guru, thank you so much for joining us. Really great uh, chat. Thank Thank
6: you. you.
2: Thank you, Rob. MOI is a global B2B creative agency connecting you with a new breed of buyer. We believe that business buyers are changing the business process faster than marketing and sales organizations can adapt. And in B2B, that can't be truer. The industry needs to move to an agile model of insight-driven real-time marketing. If you share our vision and want to join the discussion on modern marketing, come and talk to us. For details, visit moi-global.com. Power to the modern B2B buyer.
0: Welcome back to the C-Suite Podcast here at the House of PR at Cannes Lions and uh, my final guest of today's show is Carla Bizazzi, who is the Global Chief Content Officer of Trend Forecasting Company, WGSN. Welcome to the show, Carla.
7: Thank you very much. Uh,
0: Now, you were speaking earlier today um, in the main festival uh, about the methods and how to predict and dissect the anatomy of a trend. So, tell us a little bit about the process and and the magic involved.
7: Okay, so um, we have a huge team at WGSN of of uh, journalists, data analysts, consultants, product experts, um, and their job is to go out in the world and find small teeny tiny bubble up trends that they're just beginning to spot. And we bring those all together Uh, uh, twice a year at what we imaginatively call trends days um, and look for common themes and from that predict out two years ahead what we think be gonna be big macro trends for how we're gonna live our lives so I was going into the detail around that um, and giving people a few tips and tricks as to how they can do that themselves
0: interesting so would you say a, a trend is is a living thing then
7: I think, yeah, actually that's a really nice way of putting it I didn't have that in my speech I should have done you, um, you, can, you can use that one next time <laughs> yeah. people get quite um, hung up on the difference between fads and trends and movements and those all, all those things are relevant and they can be relevant to your business but uh, for me trends are things that are constantly evolving and some trends do die off and that's a, a good thing if you think about some of those trends that uh, have been around but most of them evolve and, and we come from a very, as I said, a macro level so really big picture thinking and then drill down into more specific recommendations yeah. depending on what kind of business we're talking to. So you said,
0: you said the team goes looking for those trends where, where do they start? Because I okay. mean, and, and where do they evolve from?
7: So, um... We did some uh, some number crunching before uh, Can Lion, and in the last year alone, my team have visited 95 different countries. Uh, they have covered 2,755 catwalk shows. Uh, We've been to 89 different music festivals, the list goes on and on. So we are looking for these things wherever people are uh, and wherever people are doing interesting things, basically. Could you give
0: us some examples?
7: Yeah, so uh, we'd be at Coachella. I've got a team at CanLiar, not not talking but reporting on what's happening here as well. We'll be at things like World Retail Congress, um, but we'll be at Primavera Sound as well. Um, So, I mean, it really, really varies. And alongside that, we're monitoring hundreds and hundreds of blogs and social media influences as well so yeah. it's a really you have to have a really broad mind and an open mind to be a trend forecaster. And then
0: so how would businesses you so you're finding these trends obviously and, mm-hmm. and sharing that information how would businesses then use that information?
7: So what they tend to do is it, it depends on their their target consumer so are they looking for someone who's cool and edgy to buy their clothes stay in their hotel eat their food in which case they'll be looking for the very early predictions as well But if you're talking to a mass market retailer or a big supermarket or something like that, they're going to be looking for trends that are much more established. So uh, let me give you an example. Probably you wouldn't want quinoa in supermarkets five years ago because no one would have known what it is. Whereas now quinoa is in every supermarket because it's reached that sort of mass adoption. So it's our job to tell people really early on something like quinoa is going to be big. Um, so, rosemary water, that's one we're, uh, we're just beginning to talk about at the that's moment. That's interesting,
0: I was going to ask you what we should be looking <laughs> for next.
7: Um, but but you know, there are things like that that we'll be feeding that information in um, and then they will work and think about their target consumer and use our trend information. Okay.
0: Um, one of the things that I, I, I know you're quite passionate about is diversity and you've been championing the, the women at, at Cairns here. Um, what's the anatomy of a trend? around more women at the top? So oh, both, both together.
7: Oh, that's a beautiful question. So I would say that we are at that stage where the influence is there. So we talk about the early adopters and then that moves to influences. We've definitely got the influences. There are amazing women at the top of this field and they are visible. They're on stage at Cannes. They've been covered in newspapers. They're writing books. But I don't think it's got to the state of mass adoption. People love talking about women in leadership roles, but not enough companies are making that happen happen uh, and so i think we are on the upward curve i remain very optimistic uh, about women in leadership roles especially in the media industry um, but we definitely can't rest on our laurels there's more work to be done
0: good stuff um, I, I saw one of your favorite trends at the moment is wearable technology <laughs> um, and that we'll, we'll soon be seeing our, our fitbits incorporated in the fabric of our clothing it's interesting because we've both got our fitbits <laughs> Basing, on we, yeah. for the, we were comparing <laughs> steps just just earlier um, What's the impact going to be um, of that on consumers, um, but obviously their health and, and their behaviour as well?
7: So uh, the ones that you and I are wearing are pretty kind of old school now, even even though they're they're relatively new. So the the latest version of wearable tech will um, you won't need to put in what you've eaten that day. You'll be able to sense the calories that you've consumed just by the sweat that's coming out of your skin. Mm. There are going to be ones that can track whether you've got a sexually transmitted disease. I actually spoke this morning about uh, wearable tech for the bedroom. There's quite a lot of sex and, and wine yeah. in the story, actually, uh, uh, this morning. Um, but uh, the um, CEO of Fitbit says he wants wearable tech and the wearing of wearable tech to be like wearing a a seat belt in the future. So we won't go out of our houses without one of these on because we will will want all that data. I mean, if you think about it, we're all obsessed with data at the moment. And what could be more interesting than your own personal data? So um, I see a bright future for the wearable tech industry.
0: And uh, final question for you then. And I mean, aside from the Rosemary water... What's the one thing that we should be looking out for off the back of you, you know, what you've seen at, at Cannes uh, over this week?
7: Oh, I thought you were going to just say what's the one trend, in which case I was going to say goat yoga. Well, OK. But um, we, <laughs> That's haven't, an interesting we one. haven't seen any goat yoga uh, in Cannes this week, so clearly people here aren't, aren't pushing the envelope enough with trends. No, <laughs> no I think um, <laughs> uh, one, of the, uh, one of the catchphrases, shall I say, that I used this morning was bored is the new black. And we think people need to embrace boredom a lot more than they do at the moment when do we pause we're always looking at our phones Um, and it's really important to give the time your brain time to recharge and reboot but also why is it that people say they have their best ideas when they're in the shower because there's nothing else there to distract them. That's interesting, them.
0: actually, because I've, I've done, um, in fact, one of the guys that, that's uh, here in the in the House of PR with us uh, today, um, uh, Claire Bridges, I, d- I did a podcast with her recently about um, creativity and we, we were with Jerry Hopkins of uh, Unity PR, and one of the things that he's he insists of his team is to take their lunch break and go out away from your desk, go to the pub, because that's, like you say, sometimes when you're not you know yes. under the pressure of thinking about work is when those those best ideas come through when
7: you're not plugged in yeah so uh, yeah board is the new black
0: board right well we'll look for that one <laughs> uh, Carla Bizazzi, thank you so much for joining the show my pleasure well, that's it for today's show. A real packed one today. Um, so thanks to all my guests. Thanks also to Ico for letting us uh, record the interviews in the House of PR here on the beachfront at Cannes. And uh, thanks again to our sponsors, Capstone Hill Search, for uh, sponsoring this uh, series here. Um, don't forget, you can also download all previous shows in the series. You just need to go to iTunes or SoundCloud or TuneIn and uh, search for the C-Suite Podcast and you'll find all the previous shows. And if you're on iTunes, please, please, please do give us a, a decent rating and review because that helps us up the, uh, the business charts. We've We've also got a Facebook uh, page and a Twitter feed as well so you can get involved in the conversation and comment on anything that you've heard in this and uh, obviously previous shows. Thanks for listening and goodbye.